0: Uh, Father, we pray uh, for the presence of your Holy Spirit to change our hearts and lighten our minds, and um, we pray, uh, Father, that you would change us a bit before we go today. Um, We pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us to overcome our unbelief and make us suitable believers, in this difficult world in Christ's name everybody says Amen. nice to see you all uh trying uh without the masks most of us uh this Sunday so on the count of 3 I want everybody to smile we haven't seen each other smile in 2 years you know why the last state with the mask mandate. Like we haven't seen your smile in two years, so we're just gonna smile for about five seconds. You're gonna smile at me. You're gonna smile at the people next to you. Really, really hard. Okay, but not yet. Ready? I want I want teeth in the smile. I don't wanna I don't want a sardonic grin like I usually do. I want a smile. Sonia will demonstrate. Ready? One, two, three, smile. You know, after two years, i got to say, that was a little creepier than I thought it would be. Yeah, well, eh, some things are disappointing. Your smile was lovely. Kwok's smile was a little creepy. Oh, wow, what a week. Did I ever, have I ever told you the story of my first fist fight? No. Yeah? Mindy knows it. So, so I was like I was like five, going on six years old, about six years old. I was living in a, uh, a dead end street neighborhood in, in, in Southern Oregon. And I was just out playing with my friends by a ditch because that's what you do in Southern Oregon. And, um, and this uh, teenager came down the street. I remember it was a big deal that, that he was a teenager. Because uh, when he showed up, he sort of announced that fact. I think he was, think he was going on 14. <laughs> and there were three of us, like, age seven down. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another. And he uh, decided that uh, if we didn't vacate, uh, he would pound us all. Because he was much bigger than us. And then I said, well, there are three of us we could take you. So even at six, you know, that was my attitude. And he said, oh, yeah, well, come on, and pushed me. So I thought my friends had my back. <laughs> you see immediately where this is going. My friends did not have my back. Uh, my friends decided to, uh, to vacate, undaunted, right? Because now a principle is at stake. I threw myself at this 14-year-old with my tiny little fists of fury. Yeah and and, uh, he just backhanded me off. And that started what could only be described as a brawl. And it went all the way down the street. I kept throwing myself at him and punching him. I'd get in a few good licks, but of course it wouldn't hurt him. And then he would just throw me down into the street. And he got disgusted and started walking away. Which you would think I would interpret as victory. You know, honorable victory, I would go home. Uh, But no because I had, I, had I had my blood up now, so I charged after him, right? I was going to get him to admit defeat. And I jumped on his back, and he flipped me over. And this went on all the way down the street. Uh, I, I don't know where this... It was a catharsis for me or something. I don't know. I was just... But I was going to win this fight. And we went a, a good 200 meters down the street. Um, this, this fight continued from one yard to another, over hedgerows, across ditches, the whole bit. And somehow we ended up uh, in in this yard of this elderly lady on the street, and he picked me up, and he threw me across her porch into her front door. And the door banged open, and I went head over heels into her living room and flopped on the floor right by her coffee table. She was having a tea party uh, with other elderly women in the neighborhood, and I just lay there. And for the first time that afternoon, it occurred to me that this, perhaps, was not a fight I could win. (laughs) And I remember thinking, as the old ladies looked at me in complete silence with their teacups poised, that, where's the payoff here? Where's the payoff? And I've always remembered that. That was my first fistfight experience. I'll call it a draw. I'm just going to call it a draw. Uh, That was my first experience. I misjudged the payoff. That was my big takeaway from my fight. So here's our warm-up question for today. Roll your shoulders, crack your knuckles. Here we go. Massage your scalp, get your brain juices flowing. Have you ever fought a battle during which it dawned on you, you could not win? You want to think about that more, Kat? (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, you ever you ever been involved in something that you got into for whatever reason? It was very sacrificial. It was hard fought, and you realize there might not be a good payoff for this. Anyone? Just nod at your brothers and sisters and say, "Yeah, I'm with you. I've been there." Um, you ever thought this this is this is hard, and I'm not getting anything out of it? Feel that way sometimes? And since uh, you know, this is church, and we think about God and stuff like that. Have you, ever, have you ever felt that with respect to God sometimes? Like, you know, I'm really working hard for God. I'm really doing this for God. I'm really trying to be a godly person. I'm Not really seeing the payoff. You ever get that sometimes? How many times have you gotten that this week? At least three times for me. Uh, it, was, it was a harsh, harsh week. You ever felt like things with God were a little bit pointless? Um, that maybe he wasn't in your corner after all, that this was something, this is a fight that perhaps you should not have gotten into as you lay there flat on your back looking up at the ceiling, people ridiculing you around you, or maybe that's just me. Um, I fight the fight of faith in two major ways, and I do fight the fight of faith. Right? We've been talking about it for about eight weeks now, uh, doing faith. <clears throat> Mostly we've talked about Using faith to get breakthrough, right? Using faith to move mountains, uh, to use the the biblical uh, trope, phrase. So that's one of the ways I use faith, which is I use faith to achieve things that I want to achieve in the world, right? Faith to do miracles, if that's what is required, and the Bible teaches us that we have studied a lot in this sermon series that, you know, faith is a requirement for miracles. It is a requirement for the flow of supernatural power in the world, the flow of a lot of good things uh, in the world. So in that sense, faith is a power technology, if you'll pardon the phrase, right? Faith is kind of a, a tool that you use to release power in your life and, and perhaps more importantly, to release godly power in the world around you to get good things done technology. Secondly, um, faith is a reward technology. That is, no matter how this life goes, you know that you're going to be rewarded in the next if you endure in faith in this life, which is to say there is a heaven, right? That even if you don't see the payoff immediately, you will see the payoff eventually. So faith is a power technology, and faith is a reward technology, It's kind of a funny way to say it, but I wanted it to be simple and clear. Are you following me? Everybody clap one time if you're following me. Um, Both sorts of faith are important. Because if you don't use faith as a power technology, then you're not going to accomplish your purpose in the world. You're going to have a dud of a life. And how many of you want a dud of a life? You do not want a dud of a life. You do not want a comfortable life. You want a meaningful life. Am I right? And that's going to take a tremendous amount of faith. And faith is something that you have to pursue and have to develop. So faith as a power technology, very important. We know that. Uh, We are Blue Water Mission. We're all about that, right? So it's important for that. But no matter how well you do at getting things done, no matter how many miracles you pull off in this life, no matter how many godly deeds you do in this life, life will still be hard and disappointing in big ways. Because... The earth is fallen and, and life is hard. And so you're going to need the ability to trust in eternal reward, future reward, a reward that you cannot see in the near term. Both are important. If you miss the first one, dead of a life. If you miss the second one, you'll run out of gas. Right? You'll hit the wall. When you're lying there on the floor, enduring the ridicule and shame, you won't get up you'll be down for the count. And we don't want that either, do we? I learned this from Jesus. I learned many things from him, but uh, if there was anyone that wielded faith as a power technology, well, I mean, Jesus, kind of awesome uh, in the way he lived life. Earth-shaking miracles, you know, raised people from the dead, healed people, but more than that, spoke boldly, changed culture, Right, did everything that he was supposed to do in faith. I mean, tremendous victories in his life. He was also murdered as a young man. So that part uh, was, was hard, you know, cut short. His friends betrayed him. He endured opposition from the dominant culture the whole time he was, he was ministering, etc. right? So had a very hard life. We read in, in, in Hebrews, Hebrews 12, that in the end, he went to the cross for the joy said before him, that even at the end, as things were very hard, he was thinking about the future, the eternal future, the good future, right? The new country, as some Bible translations put it. Um, he needed both kinds of faith, the full power. Power technology, reward technology belief and reward. Do you guys have the full palette of faith? Do you have both kinds? Yeah? Do you have good power faith? Yeah? Are you anchored in heaven? Alright, I'm done. Uh, Our scripture today, I've already kind of alluded to it a little bit, uh, Hebrews. I'm going to read from Hebrews 11. Uh, We've already quoted the beginning of Hebrews 11 uh, in this sermon series. Hebrews 11 is, I don't know, it, it might be the most famous chapter in the Bible about faith. Uh, it has the, the hall of faith, the hall of fame of faith in it. Uh, it lists all these heroes of faith and it makes a couple of uh, profound uh, comments about faith. It begins with, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, which is a weak translation. Literally, it means faith is the substance. It's literally the material of what we don't see. Uh, This is what the ancients were commended for. So we've talked about that already, how you have to conceive in faith what you want to see materialize in fact in the world around you. Uh, We talked about that. Uh, That line, this is what the ancients were commended for, that launches a a long list of heroes of faith. Uh, The author of Hebrews goes on to talk about a lot of those heroes. There's Abel, uh, there's um, Enoch, uh, there's Noah, there's Abraham, there's, there's Joseph, there's Moses, all of these guys uh, get mentioned. Uh, and I have just listed on the big board uh, verse 6, which is another verse that I bet a lot of you have committed to memory. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who who seek him. So it's not enough to believe there is a God. You have to believe that God is good for you. And you have to believe that he's going to reward the manner in which you live, provided you live in a godly manner. And if you fail to do that, this says you won't please him, but the whole chapter is sort of a meditation on that. Um, By faith, Noah, when called to go, um, excuse me, when warned about things not yet seen, built the ark. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a country, went to that country, even though he didn't know when he was going. There's all these examples of people who did something without being able to see the promise quite yet. And uh, I just want to read an excerpt. I didn't throw it up on the board, because you can't put a whole chapter on the big screen. But I'm going to pick it up at verse 13. He's talked about, again, Abraham and Noah, and Joseph, and all these guys. <clears throat> all these people were, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were alien, aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It's pretty cool, right? Picking it up in verse 32. And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. These are other examples of people who lived like this, according to the author, looking forward to a future. Um, who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, did justice, gained what was promised. Who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, and escaped the edge of the sword. Whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. How does that sound? That's power technology. It continues. Others were tortured and refused to be released so they might gain a better resurrection. Oh, that took a dark turn. Some faced jeers and flogging while others were chained up and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. Okay, We're getting very Tarantino-esque now. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world wasn't worthy of them. So I think the point that the chapter is trying to get across is that faith is an awesome thing. Through faith you can change nations. You can establish justice on earth. You can resurrect the dead. And if you hold the faith, you can be sought into. Right? You can be in prison, you can be ashamed. It is a mixed bag. It is a mixed bag. And therefore, right, to do to do it well and to ace the whole test, you need both kinds of faith. Right? You need the faith to do miracles, and you need the faith to know that, in the end, the fight will totally be worth it, no matter how you get your butt kicked here, right? I think there's two assurances that I'd you know, just love to give you coming out of that. Number one, if you wield faith, you will definitely have an impact in the earth around you, right? And we've been thinking hard about that for you know, seven or eight weeks. You will definitely have an impact on the world around you, and you will definitely, from time to time, get tortured you know you will need uh, to believe in heaven as well because life is, is meant to be hard right because the world has fallen, right both okay. Bo- both and everybody say both and yeah. a person of faith will have an earthly impact as, as well as hardship Um, I'm a really, uh, I'm naturally a a depressive sort of guy. I talked about that quite a bit. Struggle with depression a lot and I've struggled historically with depression uh, throughout my life. One of the reasons I think I assaulted that teenager when I was six years old. The heck is that? A cement truck. Hardship, I'm telling you. Hardship on the earth, it's okay. I'm looking forward to a better country. Yeah, remember the, the Harley gang at Paloma Settlement? We don't have them anymore. Yeah, they don't interrupt the sermon every week. Just not the occasional cement truck. We are moving up, people. We are moving up. One of the reasons I think I, I threw myself at that teenager is when I was five, six years old, I was, you know, I was super depressed. I was suicidal and uh, a very, very messed up kid. You know, I, was, I was working something out on, on him, whether whether he knew it or not, uh, but I think growing up, I was so, so depressed and so naturally depressive that, uh, that I really couldn't do much of anything without having to try very hard. That make sense? Some of you have struggled with depression, know that to be true, like just getting up and brushing your teeth or preparing a meal takes a lot of try and faith is trying, right? In other words, it takes a lot of faith uh, when you're, living in, in a depressive uh, hole. Um, one of the weird advantages of this is that I've become uncommonly good at trying things that normal people find hard. Does that make sense? Normal things are harder for me than they are for you healthy people, right? But extraordinary things are easier for me than for you normal people. Right? It's a weird advantage. I'm not advocating this. I'm just saying that as I look back on my life, because I'm old now, um, you know, I can see these things. I, there's a very strange grace in that life story uh, for me. The, the, the countervailing weakness for me is that I'm not very good at holding on to future rewards. I'm not very good at that kind of faith. I'm not very good at anchoring myself uh, in heaven because you know, and depression is largely about pessimism. It's hard for me op- to be optimistic, and so I have substituted instead self-discipline. I'm really good at that. <laughs> but I'm not so good at just sort of, hey, it'll be okay in the end. I suck at that, which is, I need your help uh, at that. Uh, and, and there may be others here who need who need that as well, you know. Um, we need to help each other. You know why? Cause very few of us have been to heaven yet. Right? I can give you testimonies about uh, healing someone supernaturally. We've had, we've had some just since we moved to Ainaheim, right? Um, but I can't give you a testimony about what heaven is going to be like for us. So it's such a pure form of faith, it is so definitive. It is signature of who we are. It really is the substance of things unseen. It is, it is extraordinary. And for you to have it is an incredible superhuman feat. right? I mean, it is the definition of supernatural. Um, such that we could cherish it especially much, or we could choose not to think about it especially much because it's so out there it seems to me when I was a child in churches you heard people speak about heaven more than you do now uh, and I think that might be a consequence of the drift of our culture toward the immediate you know toward, toward the, the, the short term um, but if you don't really believe in that eternal payoff your immediate confidence your power faith will, will crash you will lose it uh, in the end you won't have any uh, staying power Uh, The way I discipline myself in this regard is every once in a while I ask myself, does your life need heaven to make sense? Does that make sense to you? Like, Are you only doing things that you'll do if you see an immediate payoff? Or are you doing things freely, knowing that God will reward them in the end? What kind of life do you lead? That's not a black-and-white question, right? It's hard to really nail that one down, but it's a great thing on which to meditate. Um, And I meditate on it often. I suggest it to you. Are you only doing things for which there is a fairly immediate payoff? Or, right, are you doing things that only make sense? That sort of new country reward that is out there. we had. Uh, it, it, was, uh, it was it was a, it was a tough week uh, for uh, the congregation, uh, generally. Um, uh, Albert's uh, mom, uh, Violet, passed away after a long battle with cancer. Had a pretty good end, all things considered. I mean, it was a lovely story. And then yesterday, uh, Valerie uh, and Robert's mom passed away last night. Um, so, Uh, I'm really going to miss her, she was around Blue Water a lot. Um, And uh, she was, Valerie was sort of, had lost lucidity there toward the end, as she was just making the transition to the next life. She had a moment of lucidity sort of before she died, and she said, farther up and further in, and then went back into a comatose. You know that quote? It's actually from uh, the seventh of the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis's book when the characters finally get through all of their battles and, and they're kind of ascending to heaven, one of them says, <clears throat> um, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to a, a, a new country, um, but feel like this is what I've been looking for all along. And then they sort of ultimately calling this phrase to one another, further up and further in, let's go deeper into paradise, deeper into heaven. And I don't even know if Valerie ever read that book. Uh, but uh, what a great quote to say right before you die. <laughs> you know? Um, none of us have been to heaven. <laughs> but what a, what a blessed expectation. Have you ever been around someone who is making the transition and they start to see things? Nana was like that. She died almost exactly a year ago. And uh, she was... Uh, she'd be sitting in her chair, and I'd walk in, and she said, "Oh, Jordan, I I, I just saw my mom. I just saw Nana. You know, she says hello and, and stuff like that." Maybe you did. Maybe you did, because I am a full-on geek. Um, I uh, have read the statistics on near-death experiences. I know you probably have as well. Uh, there are famous books about people who have died. You know, ostensibly gone to heaven and come back. Sonia loves those books. Um, I, of course, read the statistical reports, uh, because I'm just that way. I'm great at dinner parties. Um, uh, but there have been tens of thousands of near-death experiences. A uh, study, there's uh, a, a national, uh, what is it, near-death experience uh, research foundation website that you can go to. And read them like 3,700 uh, different cases of near-death experiences. And uh, it, it's... it's it's extraordinary, um, the evidence. You know, all these people from all these different cultures basically have the same near-death experience. And near-death experiences, if you don't know, is that you die, and then eventually the medical team manages to resuscitate you. And you've been clinically dead for, you know, sometimes it's up to like 20 minutes or something like that. But quite, quite some time. And they find that all over the world, people from different, different religious backgrounds and people of different ages all describe fairly similar things. You know, you, you see a light, you feel a tremendous sense of emotional well-being, that's almost universally reported, and you see people that you love who have departed ahead of you. Uh, you have conversations with them, and then typically you, you have to make a choice to come back, even though typically you don't want to. <laughs> um, and so that that's enough. Like, if If some 90 year old Christian reports an experience of something heavenly like that, great. But they have like three and a half year old uh, kids who know nothing of God or religion report the same exact thing, right? Which is proof right there. One of the things that fascinates fascinates, uh, me about the research is that people have these OBEs, these out of body experiences when they die. And typically what they do is they float above their body. And a lot of times these happen in hospitals Somebody dies on the table, it takes the team 20 minutes to revive them. And in the meantime, they're just kind of looking around outside their body, observing their body. So they've done research and asked those people who have had their after-death out-of-body experiences, what did you see? And they're able to report with great accuracy what the doctors and nurses have done, sometimes what doctors and nurses have done in different rooms. Uh, Even though they're not familiar with medical procedures, it's pretty much incontrovertible that the mind and the consciousness lives beyond the body. Um, Do you need to hear that? Or do you believe it anyway? I nourish myself any way I can, you know, because it helps. Yeah, it helps. All my dogs will be waiting for me. Yeah. Julie knows me well. Hear that, Augie? Um, yeah. <clears throat> we uh, we talked uh, last week about how a great word for faith is confidence. You know, uh, and that to have the spirit of faith is to have a spirit of confidence as you walk through the world. Um, I was thinking about what a good word would be for the sort of faith in heavenly reward uh, that we're talking about. Um, I don't know, what do you think? I'm thinking about courage. You know, I mean, they all mean faith, right? But confidence and courage sort of suggest slightly different things, do they not? Right? When I say courage, for some reason I think about the word anyway. You know, so I get my butt kicked, and I'm whining in the middle of a tea party, staring up at the ceiling with, with uh, strange aunties uh, shrieking in alarm. Um, it was worth doing anyway. You know, if I could go back and talk to little six-year-old Jordan, I'd say, "Yeah, next time, hit him where it counts." You know, I, 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 would, I would I would try to encourage that little guy. It's like, yeah, whatever that, whatever that spirit is, that's probably gonna help you a lot. So keep it, keep going. I'll see you when you're 50, you know. Um, fearless, good one, yeah. Yeah, I mean, some, something like that, right? Un, you know, it's sort of undaunted, sort of exposing yourself to whatever, you know, as the author of Hebrews said, uh, refusing to be released from prison in order that their heavenly reward would be greater evidently some of the saintly martyrs of the first century church uh, were doing that Yeah, man I'd love to be anchored there I've never been to heaven but I'd like to have the courage of heaven in my life yeah. so I don't know what you're going through right now um, I don't know how confident you are I don't know what you've lost recently and how much courage it would take for you to rebound and march on anyway. But I do know that it's a tremendous Christian tradition. There's some evidence out there that says, oh, this is definitely gonna be worth it. That indeed this life is filled with suffering that is only momentary and light, right? That whatever fear there is in the world uh, about nations collapsing, or pandemics destroying, or inflation bankrupting, or whatever else it is, uh, that really—that's just fluff, you know. It shouldn't shake us. It certainly shouldn't make us angry or compromise the way that we behave at all. Yeah. Well, Heavenly Father, I pray um, that. You would make us mature in faith in every way. You would certainly make us powerful people, but also make us heavenly people. Yeah. That even when we've lost, surely we've lost this round. Um, even when we are disappointed, even when it hurts, yeah, it's going to be worth it anyway. The heavenly reward shall be all the greater. We look forward to a country that will truly be ours, as it should be. In the meantime, we live here, and we shall be awesome. We shall be salt and light. We shall be unstoppable. We shall throw ourselves against any foe. I'm just going to give the Holy Spirit about 30 seconds to talk to you about whatever he wants to talk to you about. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I do pray, Father God, that you would perfect your agenda for each person. And as we prayed earlier at the beginning, that you would change us all at least a little bit before we go. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would give us perspective this week and that we would be um, eternally peaceful in a world of short-term upset. I pray for Sabbath rest today Uh, Some of us are going to need it for powerful Mondays. In Jesus' name, everybody says, Amen. Amen.